Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The misclassification of workers, what businesses are now doing to take on the Biden administration who's trying to fix the problem. Meanwhile, New York City's pension plan, what they're doing fighting Starbucks's anti-union campaign. And today on the show, the latest from the Florida Education Association and Iron Workers Local 55. Welcome to the Tuesday, January 30th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Andrew Spar is going to be our first guest on the show today. He is president of the Florida Education Association, which is the state's largest association of professional employees. He was born and raised in the suburbs of New York City attended public schools and you know what he said and he's talked about this on the show many times i couldn't read when i was in the first grade i struggled in school but the educators in my life were empowered to make my success a priority and that's just what they did i want the same world for my family and for all of florida's children now keep in mind he was going through florida schools in the 80s and 90s boy things have changed in florida under the direction of Governor Ron DeSantis, who has been trashing labor unions, mainly teachers' unions. In fact, the state's largest teachers' union in Florida, United Teachers of Dade, is close to decertification thanks to a new law that requires unions to have at least 60% of union members pay dues. It's all contained in Senate Bill 256, which pretty much was a union-busting punch for all union members in the state of Florida. We're going to talk about that now. Last spring, the legislature enacted that law, and right now the rollout has been bumpy. We're going to talk about that with uh, Andrew Spar. The law even came to receive some ire from local police unions, unions which the law exempted in an attempt to support when it became evident that 911 dispatchers unions were going to be affected. It's quite a mess, and uh, Andrew's going to roll it all out. Meanwhile, the legislature is pushing forward two bills that would weaken child labor protections in the state. The first bill, which was passed by a State committee recently seeks to allow 16 and 17 year olds to work on construction projects in residential neighborhoods. Wow. We'll also touch on uh, union density with everything going on politically in the state of Florida. (laughs) There's some organizing going on. Last week, the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics announced union density numbers in all 50 states. Now, overall, overall, private sector unions added actually 191,000 members last year. The net private and public, there was a dip in public sector unions. Altogether, 
we added 152,000 members. That's pretty significant considering the anti-union climate in so many states just like Florida. And Florida had a bump. And we'll talk about that uh, with Andrew. Rob Monick will be joining us later in the show on behalf of Ironworkers Local 55, which is uh, in northwest Ohio, the uh, Toledo area. Last time we had him on, we talked about that area's need to focus on organizing. Well, we'll check to see how that turned out, because as you know, last year was a great year for organizing. Some of the jobs and projects that Local 55 has uh, going on, and we'll take a look at uh, the projects for this year. This is a really, really storied union. They were founded on February 16th, 1903. So they're coming up to their 121st anniversary. When they were chartered, they had 104 men honored as the first members and initially chartered as a federal labor union. Number 8257 by the American Federation of Labor. There was no AFL-CIO back then. The AFL-CIO actually happened in, I want to say, 1955. Because you got the American Federation of Labor and the CIO is the Congress of Industrial Organizations. By 1929, just think about that. That's when the stock market crashed. The iron workers from uh, 55 began work on the Anthony Wayne Bridge which was the crown jewel of the locals' early work. And in just three years, in three years, the workers finished the high-level suspension bridge and added its completion to their long list of accomplishments. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of history there at that local. And uh, Rob will touch on that and more right here on America's Workforce. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. $17 billion in assets under advisement serving the needs of Taft-Hartley funds, corporations, public funds, endowments, foundations, as well as religious organizations. And they've been doing this a long time, since 1928. BoydWaterson.com. BoydWaterson.com is their website. Well, the Department of Labor under the Biden administration and a coalition of business groups are in a procedural battle in the Fifth Circuit over the group's challenge to the administration's new worker classification rule. You knew this was coming. You knew this was coming. As we reported here on America's Workforce not long ago, the Labor Department published a final rule that makes it more difficult for employers to classify workers as independent contractors. Now, that rule is supposed to go into effect In the beginning of March, I want to say March 11th. Well, that may change. A couple of days later, after that announcement, a coalition of business groups that represents employers, including Uber and DoorDash, filed a motion in the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit, mind you, decided two years ago that the Department of Labor violated a law when it rescinded the Trump administration's workers' classification rule, but stayed its decision to wait for a final rule. Now, now that the final rule has been announced, the business groups want the Fifth Circuit, which is a more conservative court, to revive the case in the original district court, even though that litigation challenged a different Department of Labor 
rule. You know what this is? This is a bunch of lawyers trying to figure out how to scuttle all of this. And right now, the Biden administration is arguing that the original case is now moot. We'll keep our eyes on this one. This is a heck of a story out of New York City today. Their powerful pension system there and other Starbucks Corporation investors have called on the coffee chain's board to acknowledge what they call failures in corporate governance in their anti-union campaign. We got big money talking here, friends. Group of investors, which includes the New York City Retirement System and Trillium Asset Management, successfully got Starbucks to release a third-party audit last month. Now, the audit urged the chain to bolster guidance on how it disciplines workers and measures compliance with collective bargaining rights, but found no evidence of an anti-union playbook that laid out how to thwart employees' right to unionize. Now, the report does not absolve Starbucks of wrongdoing. In fact, it raises significant questions of conduct and accountability, according to the investor group. Whether or not such a playbook exists, it is clear that the company used aggressive tactics in its approach to union activity. So they know what's going on. Maybe there's no documents that are there to follow through on that. But we know what's happening here. The audit and investor report come amid a proxy fight from the Strategic Organizing Center Coalition of Labor Unions. The SOC Investment Group has nominated three members to the company's board and argues the current slated directors has, quote, tolerated an unacceptable level of reputational risk, a counterproductive approach to labor issues, and a flawed allocation of resources. Probably resources that go into union-busting campaigns. Now, Starbucks said in a letter to investors, and this was just last week, that the SOC's nominees lack the necessary experience, the skills, the qualifications, and other attributes to offer a balanced perspective on business strategy. Meanwhile, the SOC, again, that's the Strategic Organizing Center, has touted the achievements that its proxy battle, hey, you know what? Guess what? We already won. Since the SOC made clear its intention to nominate directors for election to Starbucks board at the upcoming annual meeting, the company has issued numerous announcements related to its purported commitment to improving relations with its employees. These have included, listen carefully, the formation of a new board committee, a public letter to Workers United seeking to re-engage negotiations and a letter to shareholders regarding the proposal that received majority support at the 2023 annual meeting of shareholders asking for a report on Starbucks labor practices. What a story. And like I said at the beginning of this story, the difference here is money. I'm talking big money. We're talking New York City's powerful pension system and they got the attention of other investors so bottom line here you want to change a company a mega company like starbucks (laughs) 
you got to use the pocketbook or you got to use big money or both or both. I mean, there's boycotts that go on all the time that get their attention, but they're not big enough. Let's be honest. But when you get the investors involved, whoa, what a difference that can make. One more here before we break. The University of California Regents have postponed for at least a year any action on a proposal to permit the hiring of undocumented immigrants on campus. In 2022, student organizers initiated a campaign advocating for the hiring of immigrants without consideration of their legal status, arguing that federal law does not explicitly prevent state entities like the university system from employing undocumented individuals. Well, in May of last year, the uh, UC leadership, University of California leadership, committed to having a working group create an implementation plan for the proposal across the system's 10 campuses. However, in November, they announced a delay in the plan's release, citing legal considerations. So that's where we are right now. Okay, a quick break. When we come back, Andrew Spar on behalf of the Florida Education Association. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, and exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be a WF Union podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to the state of Florida right now and welcome a guy that's almost become a regular on the show. That would be Andrew Spar, who's the head of the Florida Education Association, educated at the Ohio State University. 
And 30 years ago this year, he went to teach elementary school in Daytona Beach. And we we're just talking off the air. Boy, how things have changed. And you're saying they changed actually, what was it, about maybe 10 or 12 years ago and, and not for the better? Andrew, welcome back to the show. Talk to me about the situation with the schools in Florida right now. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. high flash. Yeah, listen, the, I would say this in my 30 years here in Florida now, it's hard to believe that 30 years has gone by. But, uh, but certainly these last 12 or so years have been the most challenging for people who work in public schools was about 12, 13 years ago that they changed the laws in terms of how teachers are paid, how teachers are evaluated, um, and, uh, and of course, a host of other things related to working conditions. And what we've seen happen over that time is average teacher pay fall from 36th in the nation to 48th in the nation. We've seen funding for our schools fall from uh, 37th in the nation to 43rd in the nation, uh, and we've seen things just get worse and worse. In fact, we have the worst teacher and staff shortage we've ever seen right now in Florida. My gosh. At the same time, though, isn't organizing picking up because of the uh, the anti-union climate that's going on there that has been going on, especially under the current administration? Yeah, yeah, I'll actually tell you a story outside of education unions. Uh, the second Wells Fargo branch in the nation just organized in Daytona Beach, Florida. Um, there was one, I think, somewhere out west, and then uh, a Wells Fargo branch in Daytona Beach organized uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So there is a desire to have more union representation in Florida. And, of course, we were impacted last year by one of the worst pieces of legislation for, uh, uh, for uh, middle-income America, one that takes out, tries to take out unions, uh, but has not been successful, and we have committed to make sure we're not going to lose a single union. And, uh, look, our members don't want to use a single, lose a single union. We have... Um, we have recruited back most of our members. And just to remind everyone what happened, uh, we lost the right to payroll deduction in effective as of July 1 of this year. We had to switch everyone over to a new way of paying. But we also have a bunch of hoops we now have to jump through. And uh, the argument still continues. And the commission, the Public Employees Commission that oversees all of this stuff, is so far behind, they can't even keep up with the amount of work they're having to do. And this is costing taxpayers money with one objective, and that one objective is to try to take unions away um, from our school teachers and staff who work in our schools, our professors, and other public employees, except for those who work in law enforcement and firefighting. I know. They, they were very crafty, and we're talking about uh, Senate Bill 256. I want to get to that, and I want to get into a couple of other things here. Payroll deduction, though, you, you mentioned that. So normally that would have come out of their check when they got paid on a, you know, maybe two weeks or twice a month, however the pay system is in the state of Florida with public sector workers. But there has to be a cost to the unions for doing that. Don't they have to go to a third party in order to uh, to pay the union dues then? Yeah. So now what uh, members do here in Florida, most most members, we have a few that are paying by check or some other method. Uh, but we designed our own system here in Florida. 
Uh, we have an incredible uh, IT department, and they work nonstop around the clock, essentially, uh, trying to make sure everything's working the way it's supposed to. But we have a very secure system in which people can go in, uh, essentially connect their bank account uh, to our payment system, and then every time they get paid, literally on the day they get paid, uh, their union dues comes out of their bank account. So we try to mimic um, how it's done with payroll deduction. But, of course, we all know that you know, having stuff taken out of your paycheck is really the easiest, most secure, and safest way to do this work. We've replicated it as closely as we can, uh, have a high level of security around it, and we're constantly, obviously, monitoring all of that. Um, but you know, there's other things that come out of paychecks. Uh, people make contributions to the United Way or the United Negro College Fund. Uh, people pay for their auto insurance through their paycheck. People uh, pay for their uh, other benefits through their paycheck. They, there's so many deductions out of paycheck. The only one that's no longer allowed in the state of Florida is your freedom to decide to join your union and, and have your union dues come out of your paycheck. That was taken away from the employees in the state of Florida. I'm on your website right now. The Florida Education's website is feaweb.org, and it's right on the homepage. E-dues, safe, secure, and easy. Tens of thousands of members across Florida protecting their contract and union membership by signing up for E-dues. Now, when did this start? And it, I, it, it sounds in this conversation it's been pretty successful. Then a lot of buy-in? Yeah, absolutely. Again, people want to keep their union, and so we've had a lot of success. We still have more work to do, um, but there are a lot of people who are telling us, look, it's going to take you years to build back. Uh, when, when this has happened in other states, it took them a long time to build back, uh, including Michigan and uh, West Virginia, and, and of course Wisconsin had a whole host of other things attached to theirs as well. Um, and and we haven't. What we've seen is a dedication of our membership to the fact that they want to protect their contract. They want to protect their jobs. They want a voice in the workplace, and they understand how bad things have gotten uh, in our schools. Uh, so. We're fortunate, again, um, we had a great system. It takes less than three minutes for the average member to convert to e-dues or sign up and join through e-dues, what we call e-dues, uh, which is essentially an auto-pay system. And um, and so um, we have now over a hundred and uh, 115,000 of our members paying through this method, um, which is astonishing. The company that's one of our vendors that's doing this, they've never seen anything like it. Um, and I think, again, it's a testament to the dedication of our membership and, and uh, of course, the hard work of our staff to make this happen. I want to talk about the United Teachers of Dade, and I've been talking about this on the show, and they are right now in the middle of a, a firestorm here because of this new law that requires unions to have at least 60% of union members pay dues, and if they don't, then they, I guess they get decertified. All right, <laughs> explain what's going on here. They haven't been decertified yet, and this is ridiculous, 60%. So I take it at what well, what was the threshold before? Was it fifty percent? It was. was that it fifty percent. Yep, fifty percent. Okay. So so what's happening with uh, United Teachers of Dade right now? Fill me in. So the United Teachers of Dade um, did not get to sixty percent membership. They worked really hard, but again, there's a lot of obstacles in the way in this law that make it really challenging for people to join their union. 
Um, and keep in mind that the United Teachers of Data has been singled out by the Freedom Foundation. For those who are not familiar with the Freedom Foundation, it is a right-wing anti-union organization whose sole goal is to get unions decertified across this country. Um, they've operated in Ohio. I know we talked about that last time. They've operated in several other states. They're based out of the state of Washington, um, and they uh, truly despise unions. They see unions as something that gets in the way of what they ultimately want to do, which is concentrate wealth at the top. And so they are the ones who wrote this anti-union legislation in Florida, uh, and they are also investing literally millions of dollars to try to take out the United Teachers of Dade. They said publicly that it is their number one target. They are trying to lie and mislead and misinform uh, the teachers and staff in the in Miami-Dade School District to try to decertify them. But what happens under this law, if you don't hit 60%, is you automatically, you have to file paperwork, you have to file interest cards. It's interesting because they had well over 50% membership in the United Teachers of Dade, but they had to turn in cards of at least 30% of the members uh, to show that they wanted to keep their union. Well, who's paying union dues if they don't want their union, right? It's the craziest thing, and it goes to show the intent. Uh, but they turned in um, almost 50% cards uh, of the uh, bargaining unit down there in Miami. They brought them to Tallahassee, well over 11,000 cards. The Public Employees Relations Commission, which oversees this, had to hand stamp, date stamp every single one of those. They literally shut down that department, had them hand stamp them, and th it took them three and a half hours. Again, taxpayer money going to this ridiculous, stupid stuff, but that's how things are done. The Freedom Foundation is challenging those cards. Again, they, they only needed like 6,000. They got almost 12,000. It's crazy uh, that they're challenging it, but that's their goal, to try to come up with a way to decertify the United Teachers of Dade. And, and they are, again, spending millions of dollars to try to do it. So there will be an election down there. Uh, voters will choose between a front organization that the Freedom Foundation has put up, keeping their union, the United Teachers of Dade, um, or not having a union. And um, uh, you must get at least 50% plus one, or there's a runoff between the top two of those three choices. Um, and, uh, and so that election, assuming that the front organization can get 10% signatures, they only need 10% uh, show of interest cards is what they call them, uh, but signatures saying they want that group to represent them, um, and then there will be an election. So we uh, hear from the Public Employees Relations Commission that that is months away. They are so backlogged that we could be talking, talking six to eight months or longer before they actually get to that election. Well, it sounds like a lot of solidarity in that group there. Maybe you can uh, line me up with uh, one of their leaders down there, and we could talk uh, more into this. That would that would yeah, be a I good will. conversation. Okay, please do that. And, and a lot of the other part of this conversation, Andrew, we're speaking with Andrew Spar, who's president of the Florida Education Association. Do check out their website, feaweb.org. Weren't they kind of vocal, that, that group, against some of the crazy laws in Florida, so that's why this is happening? Is, is that pretty much the story? Yeah, there's, there's two reasons I think they're targeting the United Teachers of Dade. Uh, one, their president, Carla Hernandez-Matz, uh, was a lieutenant governor candidate with Charlie Crist last time around, and so it's personal for Governor DeSantis. Uh, as we've seen over and over again, he goes after anyone who disagrees with him uh, in his leadership style. He's removed people from office, um, and, of course, he can't hear, so he's trying to 
to take down the United Teachers of Dade. And then the other reason is, of course, the United Teachers of Dade is the largest union, local union in the Southeast. And so they feel, and one of the largest in the nation, and they feel like if they can take down the United Teachers of Dade, then um, they can take down any union. Andrew Spar joining us on our live line today, president of the Florida Education Association. We'll continue with him because, uh, well, the governor is no longer running for president, which could be even scarier for unions in the state of Florida for the rest of his term. We'll continue with Andrew later in the show. We're going to check in with Rob Monick, who heads uh, Local 55, Ironworkers Local 55 in northwestern Ohio. We'll talk about organizing there. Back in a few minutes, you're listening to America's Workforce. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AF. GE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org is their website. Let's go back to our live line from Florida today. Andrew Spar, president of the Florida Education Association, website feaweb.org. Want to talk about the upcoming legislative session in Florida and obviously the governor's attack on, well, all unions, especially public sector unions and teacher unions. But you've got some good information to share on some recent polling. 
Andrew, it's all yours. What's uh, what story here? Yeah, so Mason Dixon, which is a major polling company, they they are a very reputable polling company. If anything, lean a little bit right of center. Uh, they did some polling recently, and one of the questions they asked voters uh, in the state of Florida was, "Should teachers have the right to strike without consequence?" And what they found was astonishing in some respects and maybe not in others, but uh, they found that 72% of likely voters in Florida believe teachers should have the right to strike without consequence. And that includes 54% of Republican voters even. Um, So even members of the governor's own party, uh, voters in the Republicans uh, in the governor's own party believe that teachers should have the right to strike without consequence. And that cut across all demographics. Uh, and why that's interesting to me is, to me, it shows that that people believe that the legislature and the governor have gone too far. Uh, they have made things horrible uh, for teachers and staff who work in our schools and for the students who learn there, and people don't like it. They want uh, teachers to be able to stand up for their students. They want them to be able to stand up for strong public schools. And they want them to be treated with dignity and respect, and they don't see that happening in Florida. And I think because of that, you see an overwhelming majority of Floridians saying, you know, you've gone too far, and now we should give recourse to the teachers in the state of Florida. Um, so it, teachers in Florida cannot strike, and no public employee can. If they do, uh, teachers will lose their job, they will lose their retirement, they will lose their certification. So it's, it's, there's a significant amount of penalties uh, for teachers or any public employee to go out on strike in Florida. But the fact that the electorate has shifted from you know, not really supporting the ideas of strike to overwhelmingly supporting the notion of striking uh, really, to me, is pretty powerful and sends a very clear message. No, I understand they, they can't go on strike, but they can quit their job. And I know many, not just in Florida, have done that, Andrew. I'm just wondering, what's a legislature, what are they doing as far as reacting to that? Because, I mean, this is going to come to a breaking point if it gets to the point where they're not going to have teachers in the classroom. How are they reacting to that right now? So we continue to have conversations. and Florida is uh, controlled by the Republican Party, and we are building relationships with uh, Republicans because you have to in order to get stuff done. And, um, And so we have had a lot of conversations about what we need to do to address this massive teacher and staff shortage. And I'm actually happy to report that this legislative session, at least in the Senate, there is a desire to address some of the issues we've raised. Um, and so we continue to try and push that. There were some, some issues that, that have been proposed in the Senate and actually passed by the Senate now uh, include some more job security for teachers, bringing back multi-year contracts so that teachers uh, don't get a pink slip essentially at the end of every year as it is now, um, extending the teaching certificate for teachers from five years to 10 years, uh, which would uh, mean they wouldn't have to renew every five years and pay additional money and jump through a bunch of hoops, um, which would be beneficial to them, uh, as well as paying teachers for advanced degrees in Florida. One of these crazy laws they put into effect about 12 years ago said that um, teachers with advanced degrees 
in certain areas could get a supplement, but it couldn't be included in their base pay, uh, which we think is ridiculous. You should respect in education, education. And so um, so we've been pushing for that for a while. And we're also seeing uh, some stuff we've been pushing for started last year, continuing this year, to improve the retirement system uh, for teachers and other public employees. And so uh, those kinds of things are, are areas where we're actually having some success, which we think will help in the Senate. Now, in the House, we're still seeing some obstacles to some of those concepts, and um, and so there's work for us to do there. Um, and so, you know, we'll know we're in the middle of our session. We're almost at the halfway point, um, but we are going to continue to fight to make sure that we're doing everything possible to help um, to help uh, teachers and staff and schools, because at the end of the day, if you have strong um, and, and fill every position. You have strong public schools and fill every position in our schools, then kids are getting the education they deserve and need. It's interesting how the uh, the legislature worked in, in the last session, and you and I talked about this because, I mean, they're, they've done a lot to attack unions, all unions in the state of Florida, but they were protective of the police and fire. Well, maybe not so protective. I understand that, like, the nine... 911 dispatchers unions were affected and now the police aren't too happy. Maybe you could fill me in. And <laughs> so I, I guess they got to rework a couple of things down there. Is that right? Yeah, they have what's called a glitch bill. Um, I don't know how much of a glitch bill it is, but uh, yeah, they, they, the police and fire got caught up in some of the way the legislation was worded. Uh, you know, when you when you want to do mean spirited things to unions, you don't necessarily uh, consider every aspect of it. And so um so that's, I think, what happened. But police and fire got caught up in some aspects of the legislation. Other aspects of the legislation that we told them was not going to work. Some lawmakers told them was not going to work. Guess what? It didn't work. So they want to fix some of that. Uh, but then the last bit uh, really in this legislation is, again, they're trying to make it harder for us because they're seeing how successful we are and the dedication of teachers and staff and professors and others to have a strong union. Um, and so they're trying to put another provision in the bill that would uh, make employees, and, and this was in there last year, but when they argued it in court, they argued it wasn't an impact on unions, but it, they require, they want to require employees to fill out a state mandated membership form in addition to joining their union. So again, what's interesting about that is you can join the NRA, you can join the Sierra club and you don't have to fill out a state mandated form only if you want to be a union member. And, oh, um, and so what they want to do is tie that to the 60% and say that if you don't fill out that form, your membership doesn't count in the state of Florida towards that 60%, and therefore your union could be decertified. Um, they, again, we, they were going down that path last year. We argued in court uh, that this was a violation of the First Amendment. Our lawyers did. Um, the state argued saying, no, 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 there's, this is not the union's responsibility. There's no consequence to the union. And so the judge agreed with them, and, and so there hasn't been a consequence on the union not fulfilling out these forms. And then they're surprised that no one's filled out these forms. Well, of course, if the union isn't responsible for it and no one's telling employees about it, they don't do it. So now they're coming back trying to tie that. So we're working to try to stop that. If not, uh, obviously we'll be back in court, and I'm not sure how the judge will respond to uh, the state reversing course on what they argued last year. But, uh, you know, again, it's all about making it harder for people to have a voice uh, and to be able to protect their jobs, their contract, and ultimately the education of students in Florida. 
Andrew, I'm just scratching my head here. I don't know how you keep your sanity with all the stuff going on right there. This has got to be such a difficult task for you. And now I'm reading about uh, the uh, the advancing of a couple of bills that would weaken child labor protections in your state. And in fact, I was reading this earlier. The uh, I guess one committee, and I don't know where where it stands right now. They want to allow 16 and 17 year olds to work on construction projects in residential neighborhoods. I mean, what, what they go to school, and then they're going to start working on a, on somebody's roof or something like that. Is that is is this moving in 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 the wrong direction, Andrew? Please tell me. Yeah, this idea of weakening child labor law is something that we as unions have long stood for. Right, the protection of young uh, of young citizens in the workplace for sure, young people in the workplace. Um, this is uh, you know we're seeing this in several states, but Florida as well. Uh, interestingly enough, they did have legislation, uh, and we seem to have uh, derailed it last week that would have allowed kids as young as 16 years old to work on a roof and. A Apparently that violates some federal laws, and so it seems like they've backed off that a bit. But the other provision as an educator that really bothers us is this idea that they could have, originally they were going to say there were no restrictions on um, 16 and 17-year-olds to work, and they could work any hours of the day or night. Um, they now have said, oh, they can work till midnight. Under Florida law right now, 16 and 17-year-olds cannot work past 10 p.m. on a school night. And, um, and that's done not because students want to work past 10 p.m. It's done because, unfortunately, there are some employers who would require them to work past 10 o'clock. And, and the idea that um, students, high school students who have classes and may have exams and are working out of necessity um, would need to go home and study, that they could be told, oh, you're staying tonight till midnight. Then they have to go home, shower, get ready for bed, study, and get up early the next morning and go take a test does not seem to be in that child's best interest. And again, this is, this is not about um, you know, whether or not parents would want their kids to work that late or whether or not the kids want to work that late. This is more about an employer who may take advantage uh, of young kids uh, who really need to be focusing on school. And so it just makes no sense to roll back those kinds of child labor protections. And we all know there's a lot of employers in that camp, no doubt about that. Andrew Spar, president of the Florida Education Association, website feaweb.org, feaweb.org. I always enjoy talking with you. I'm going to let you get back to work. I know you're busy fighting all these crazy things, so you keep in touch with us. And you got a friend here on America's Workforce. we got to get that information out to uh, all the people that listen. And we had a banner year last year. You know there's a lot of organizing going on throughout the uh, country, so your voice is being heard, my brother. Okay, Andrew? Thanks, Flash. I appreciate it every time. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Rob Monick is with Ironworkers Local 55, and he is coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. 
The Iron Workers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylights and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. This is Brent Booker, General President of the Labor's International Union of North America. And we're a proud sponsor of America's Workforce, where workers feel the power every single day. The heat and frost insulators and allied workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWFE Union Podcast. Let's go to uh, Toledo, Ohio. And joining us is Rob Monak. Rob is a vice president. Director of Workforce Development, Business Development, and an organizer at Ironworkers Local 55, which is also a member of the Great Lakes District Council. And Rob, you know, we're still doing the show here at Local 17. Your brother's here at Local 17. I'm looking on the desk here, and I, I'm reading the grit. Well, I'm not reading all of it. The Great Lakes District Council of Ironworkers International Metal Building Agreement for Industry Expansion. I would imagine uh, this is something on your desk as well, right? Uh, more towards my business manager's desk, but I'm very familiar with it. I'm very okay, well, very well good. aware of it. <laughs> well, well, the key word on there is expansion. We we want to oh, yeah. expand all the work out there for for our brothers and sisters in the ironworkers. So uh, talk to me. Well, let, let's talk about organizing. Last year was a really good year for so many unions. I can only assume it was good for local. Uh, for, for Local 55. Talk to me about that. It was. Last year, um, of course, we're all, you know, it's post-pandemic. I mean, you know, stuff is still kind of goofy out there, but um, stuff's kind of circling back around. Um, it was a good year. I mean, I think uh, for us in the organizing department, you know, we don't look at it, we don't paint it into a corner. So we want to look at it from all kinds of different angles. So we, we do a lot of institutional organizing, you know, not just boots on the ground, bottom up, talking to guys on jobs, guys and gals on jobs. We 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 try to we try to be as relevant in the eyes of the decision makers that we can be. Um, so I sit on several business advisory councils and do a lot of do. I even teach fifth graders. 
once a month um, about different things, you know, work um, work ethic and then, you know, things like that and stuff that matches their careers. So we, we look at it kind of holistically, and uh, we want to be relevant, uh, not just to the to the folks hanging iron and doing our work non-union or unrepresented, I should say, um, but we want to make sure that we're on front of mind with people who are speaking messages and, and breathing faith into, into candidates so that, you know, they've got, hey, I know a guy to get a hold of. Let me, mm-hmm. let me connect you here. So that's, that's kind of how we approach that. So we, it's a moving target, uh, which is a good thing in our eyes. So we do a lot of different things as far as, you know, it's, it's 2024. So we've, we've got some partners with iHeartMedia here in Northwest Ohio. So we'll, we'll geofence, we'll soften the battlefield, so to speak, before we come in. Um, and, and, you know, be on front of mind. We just don't want to pop in and then, you know, Hey, surprise, ta-da, here we are. So we want to, we want to look at everything that we have in our arsenal and put that, you know, out there to, to help, help the cause. So, so, so you're using the tools that are out there today. That's interesting <laughs> that, uh, that you're doing geofencing that, that is relatively, oh, yeah. relatively new and it does work at uh, anybody listening right now, just Google geofencing. I'm not going to get into the weeds on it, but, uh, it is a, it is a way to capture, in in Rob's case, new members. But you know what? I want to sure. go back to what you're talking about t- teaching in fifth grade here. So you're starting. Why fifth grade? What what made you what made you start there? Well, uh, we joined um, several targeted chambers of commerce, and it's been a real good uh, evolution of a relationship with them. And um, four or five years ago, I was asked to teach. So we it's called the Reach Program. And so we get assigned a school, uh, a fifth grade school, and I've been at uh, Lakota Middle School the past two years. And uh, once a month, I come in for uh, one period, and uh, um, we we first of all listen to the kids. And um, the the key is is to get dialogue going with the kids. Um, obviously, I tell them what I do and so on and so forth, and make some make some connections and. Um, because we've got iron workers from their school and then we start to delve into what's relevant on, on, in their lives. And, you know, how does work ethic, you know, matter? What are, what are, yesterday we did a lesson on 10 things that take zero talent. Number one, being on time, um, having a good attitude, you know, using good body language, going a little bit farther, things like that. And then what we'll do is say, Hey, what does that mean to you? So everybody take this sheet home and think about that. We come back next month Let's get some dialogue going on this, and, and let's have some good chat about it. And then hopefully, you know, they keep that that with them, you know, and, and as they go through their academic career. And it's important. I think it's it's neat because I'm from industry, but what's neat is that the educators um, are already speaking these things to these young kids, so it's neat for them to see a different face of it. So um, I like it. I love it. Was there any problem getting getting to those fifth graders? Were, were the schools pretty receptive? And and this is a two part question: Is this thing going to grow? Is it going to go to other schools? Uh, they were very receptive. Um, it's absolutely receptive. And the Reach program has been around for quite some time here. It's in Sandusky County. Um, it's been around for quite some time. So um, and it has grown. Um, we did uh, two years ago. We did a a job fair that was specific to the interest of the class. So we had all kinds of different, you know, folks that the, the teacher had done like a, a schematic of things that were important to them. So we brought in professionals um, through agriculture. Of course, we got a lot of agriculture in this area, so on and so forth, but it was, it's just been a blessing. So yeah, it is growing and uh, it's really, it's, it's good. These kids are bright kids. 
telling you. Good to hear. Boy, I tell you, keep me apprised of that. That sounds pretty exciting <laughs> for uh, for Local 55. Let's talk yes, about the uh, the work in that area. How are we looking for projects, uh, you know, this year and beyond? Because I know there's a lot of construction, a lot of this because of the good policy coming out of the White House with the yes. with the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. But what's your what's your take on that, Rob? Um, work is work is steady. Work is good. You know, the the hands were running. You know, fifty sixty hour checks for quite some time because we were so we were in a boom. Uh, it's flattened out a little bit, but we're on the wave of another boom, uh, and they'll come in increments. I mean, there's a pragmatic approach to it as it as it comes to market. But we've got, you know, we've got Abbott Labs coming to the Bowling Green area. Um, obviously, scheduled maintenance for shutdowns. Heavy highway seasons coming, um, and you know, you had mentioned the metal building. So metal building, <coughs> metal buildings, tin cans as we call them. That's where we see a lot of our competitors. So that's where we do most of the organizing. Now as a local, we do several hundred thousand man hours um, on, on pre-engineered metal buildings every year. And our competitors, most of the time, you know, that, that's where we see them. So we, we want that talent as well. But um, uh, yeah, we, um, we're, we're good. I mean, um, of course, everybody always wants more, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, we're 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 marching right along, and and everybody's still screaming for talent. I'm telling you, everybody's still screaming for talent. We haven't had anybody at the hiring hall for years, for years. So, which is a good thing. And you're right. The, you know, as they keep letting out, you know, the infrastructure money, there's a lot of talent that's got to be. They just don't go out and say, "Hey, come on, let's go." I mean, there's a lot of talent, a lot of qualifications, a lot of search that got to go on you know, to have that happen. How's your apprenticeship program right now because of uh, the workload? Good. Our apprenticeship is good. Um, you know, there's been ebbs and flows, um, but it's starting to crank back up. So again, all the different irons we have in the fire is to our benefit. So, um, you know, we're up, our total money package is up to 6311 an hour. And that's with your living wage and your benefit package. And that's a hard earned, that's a hard earned wage. And we're, we're, we're getting to where we need to be. Um, and, uh, what we see typically is, you know, you, you get through that first year cause it's hard. It's not easy work. You right. get to that first year and you got about an 80% success rate to get through all four and then beyond. So we're starting to see that, that quality candidate. We really have seen good quality candidates, uh, come up through our apprenticeship. Young people who are taking it seriously <laughs> and that benefits us obviously, but it manifests in the workplace too their skills and their talents. So yeah, we're, we're going in the right direction. That is absolutely for sure. I like that. Okay. You can check out more at ironworkerslocal55.com. And I mentioned your history there. You're coming up to uh, 121 mm-hmm. years. There's a really good uh, story there on how 55 came into being on February 16th, 1903 and what you have done over the years. It's really, really fascinating. So do check that out. Ironworkerslocal55.com. Rob, you take care, stay in touch and let's talk more about getting those kids in the fifth grade level. I love that story. Okay, brother. (laughs) All right. More to come. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the Teamsters Director of Organizing and the United Council of Academics. Until then. All of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.